0: Welcome to the Field Target Podcast. This is episode 19, and I would like to welcome Scott Hull back to the show. He's uh, generously generously agreed, after I spoke with him last time, to talk about uh, some technical things, and and I think we all know that uh, Scott Hull is a uh, fountain of technical information. If you see his post uh, about any technical issue, they're well thought out. Uh, he's an engineer by training, and uh, he clearly brings his uh, engineering background and logical approach to the game. So when I talked to Scott uh, after our last interview, I had told him that I had received a question from a, a new shooter who was setting up a Hunter piston rifle and wanted me to walk him through setting up a a scope. And uh, and and so I thought that no one would be better to ask that question than uh, Scott Hull. So, Scott, welcome back and uh, and and tell us how to set up a Hunter piston or Hunter PCP scope.
1: Okay, Um, Hunter was the first uh, division I was shooting in, so I got some experience with that. First scope I picked was a uh, 3 to 9 and quickly realized that there was some advantage to going with a 12, which is the maximum power allowed, so that's the first thing I would recommend is get a scope such to the 3 to 12 would be a good one you can go higher and turn it down to uh, 12 power but you might want to tape it at that setting uh for a variety of reasons which i'll talk about in a while but first thing is you get a 12 power scope also you should probably get a mill dot scope i prefer standard mill dots nothing fancy uh you can do half mil dots if you prefer but i really haven't found any advantage to that just a standard 12 power mill dot scope if you're shooting a uh piston gun you want to make sure it's uh springer rated so it can take the shock of a piston gun uh, i've used utg scopes pretty much exclusively and they that's a lower end scope they're generally for hunter available in the hundred dollar price range on sale and i found them to be good enough and i've pretty much stick with the same one for hunter in all my shooting and uh, get familiar with it and don't change too often because it's kind of a when you get used to a particular scope, you actually start to do better with it. You learn the little intricacies of it. So the first thing is you've got a 12-hour scope. And, of course, you need to find out where your holdos, holdovers are so to know where to hit at different ranges. So you can do that by setting targets out at different ranges and uh, marking, make some uh, notes, of how many mill dots it, it uh, needs for holdover Typically, I adjust, I set my scope to where it's zeroed at the apex, which means there is never any hold under. In other words, the pellet never rises above the horizontal reticle. I did that initially, but then I would just confuse myself when I look at my dope sheet thinking, is that half a mil that hold over, half a mil that hold under? And and invariably, I pick the wrong one and set the shot. So these days, everything is hold over, which means the pellet never rises above the. horizontal reticle
0: when you set up your holdover and and do you like measure out 55 yards and set maybe paper up every certain number of yards how in other words what is the distance that you look at do you do it every two yards or five yards
1: well these days i set it up at 25 yards usually that's kind of the zero for most uh, i like a low scope and a tent with a 18 foot pound gun a low scope 25 maybe 28 yards tends to be the zero. Uh, so I just set up the target at about 25 yards, and I zero the gun so it's dead on, and everything else comes off the computer, I hate to say. But I do verify it out in the field. But typically, if, it's, if the zero's good, and I do a 10-yard test and a 55-yard test, if those are both hitting where the computer says it's supposed to, and that's using a program like Chairgun, uh, everything else should be on. And when I verify it, you know, before a match, it's kind of the same thing. I'll just uh, check my zero at 25 yards. And if it's good and I didn't have to adjust anything, everything else is usually good. I may check a 55-yarder because elevation, uh, air density, and stuff can affect those long shots. But the computers are pretty good at predicting your, you get everything else right, they will tell you all your intermediate shots all the way up to 55 yards. But if you don't have that, up you can just put targets um, every five yards okay, and then interpolate in between and you'll get pretty good information pretty good dope and that's the starting point once you get that um, and you're hitting on at all the distances where you expect it to um, well let me go back there there's something you should check when you when you shoot the zero at 25 you should also shoot at 10 yards and see if you're hitting on the same vertical line. It's real common for it to be hitting right or left on a close or far target. That's an indication that you've got your scope canted with respect to the gun. Um, so you need to rotate it in the um, scope rings in order to get the reticle in line with your bore of the gun. And there's also, on a far target, it can be hitting off to the side or left if you're canting the entire gun. Uh, which means the pellet's dropping off to one side or the other, and that's usually handled by putting a level on the uh, bubble level to indicate that the reticle is vertical. The reticle should already be in line with the bore, but you also have to hold that reticle vertical when you're in the field. So I've got a, I've got a bubble level on all my field target guns just because that, that's a pretty critical uh, thing to do for your long shots. That's
0: good advice. So, real, real quick question though for just just some basic explanation for for a new shooter who might be interested, who who does have access to a chronograph, who can figure out the speed of their pellet. Uh, what other data is necessary to get reliable information from cheer gun? Well, the newer the
1: new version of cheer gun has both scope height and scope base. Scope height is the distance of the scope tube to the center of the uh, bore line, the center of the bore. And those numbers are assume that your barrel is straight. It's not always the case, but you have to start assuming it is straight. And then there's a thing called the sight base, which is the distance from the well rope. A uh, second focal plane scope, that would be from your reticle, which is approximately where your magnification mm-hmm. ring is, out to the Um Your drop starts at the muzzle, but your scope is actually measuring things from the reticle. So I tend to take all my measurements from the reticle, and uh, chair gun will do some of the compensation for you if you put the scope base in there. So if you get the scope base in correctly, the scope height in correctly, your velocity, uh, the ballistic Mm -hmm. coefficient, which can vary between guns, but you'll want to start with the... uh, uh, Approximate one that comes in ShareGun. ShareGun's got a list of pellets. You just pick that. It's usually, yeah. usually pretty close. Uh, you get all those things in there, and ShareGun is pretty close. I mean, it's going to... If you go out in the field and it's not matching at all, something's wrong in chair, You've got something set up wrong. Uh, check everything. One thing that you might check is the scope magnification. Uh, assuming it's a standard mil dot, you'll have a 12, 12x for 12 power in ShareGun, but even though the scope says 12x, Right. It's not really. It's might close. Most of mine are in the compact Leaper scopes I use. Typically, they're closer to 11.5 power, and that can throw off your holdovers and your ranging just a little bit. So I usually will first thing I'll do. Uh, probably should have done this off the start is check what the mill if the mill dot spacing is what I expect it to be. And for a 12 power scope, a good way to do that is put a ruler out at. Uh, 100 feet, Just stick a ruler out 100 feet from your reticle, which would be your magnification ring, measure exactly out there, put the ruler out, look through the scope, and every mill dot should be lining up on an inch. If it's not lining up on an inch exactly, that means your scope is probably a little bit more, a little bit less than 12 power, so you should note that. And that information, if you put that in share gun, it will usually correct uh, your holdovers and will be closer to what you're So that's really
0: good advice with. so so the, the way to confirm your reticles is to set a, a roller out at hundred feet and um, and you should have an inch uh, spacing between each of your mill dots at 12 power yeah that's,
1: yeah because that's you're running at 12 power mill a mill mil dot a real true milling Radian is set up at 10x but uh, so that means one yard mm-hmm. and a thousand yards. For a milliradian, but since we're running at 12x rather than 10x, most reticles are milliradian at 10x. Since we're now at 12 and there's 12 inches in a foot, we can just put it out at 100 feet and they line up on every inch. It just works out convenient. Uh, Something I like about uh, using mill dots at 12x and using ranges in feet as opposed to, I mean, you can use yards, but three feet is a yard. Everything right. just works out well. At least it makes the math. Later on, I'll tell you how to bracket targets, and that that particular coincidence makes bracketing math
0: pretty simple. Okay, so so to back up just a second, what we did was for those that may not want to set up paper targets every you know five yards or 15 feet or 10 feet or whatever, uh, you can use chair gun, get the information in there. And then in the real world, maybe uh, at 10 or 20 or 40 or 55 yards, confirm that your your numbers, that your your holdover matches what gun is producing, right?
1: Exactly. And that's what I do. These days I don't. I'm pretty confident once I check the 25 and a 10 that everything else will be pretty close because I also check the ballistic coefficient using the chronograph from at least the 0 to 25-yard ballistic coefficient. But if you can do the three shots at 10, 25, and even 55 yards, those three will establish, establish the trajectory, and you really don't need to do all right. the in-between ones. Just put the information, those three match up, everything else will
0: and, be And a enough. new shooter without a chronograph um, would, would benefit by setting out multiple targets and then just writing down and interpolating the... Um, the, the, the holdover the, the mill dot holdover at each of the various distances once they decide what their their zero is right
1: okay. yeah well it's been a while since I've done that because I got a chronograph I think after right. my first year um, but that's yeah that's what you'd have to do you'd have to set it up at every distance you were unsure of. once um, you got three, if you got three of them and you had an approximation of your, if you just use the ballistic coefficient in a chair gun, the rest of them should fall into place pretty close okay. to.
0: Okay, so yeah, that's very helpful, Scott. So let, let's continue the process. So you've gone through, you've figured out your, your holdover, uh, either using you know, either the old method or you're using a combination of the old and the technology. Uh, and, uh, and so you have that data. What's next?
1: Well, you have to be able to range the target. Um, The traditional way and, uh, well, hunter field target doesn't allow focus range finding, but hunter division, after hunter division, does. And even though we're only using a 12-power scope, it still has some capability for focus range finding, and that's the preferred way that people do it in the USA. And it works pretty good out to your zero, Um, a little bit beyond that because you're still shooting pretty flat, especially in hunter if you're shooting – 18, 19 foot-pounds, I mean, you can extend out, you, you can range well enough to get out to 35 yards, and you're not going to have a problem. Uh, at the far targets, you will have more of a problem. Uh, range finding by parallax adjustment is where you your targets, I'm not, not an expert at this by any means, but I do use it. It's um, kind of my fallback position because it's always available. Um, you have marks on your focus ring. And just like the marks on your magnification ring, they're not really exact. So you have to uh, check them in the field and see what they actually should be. And you make a new marks on your scope wheel, which could be the uh, side wheel or your front uh, adjustable mm-hmm. objectives. And you, you put the marks to get the actual distance that you're seeing is in focus. And uh, you can rely on those pretty well out uh, to 35 yards, 45 to 55 yards, it's, it's pretty iffy. I think the best I can do is probably, I don't know, they're usually within five yards. On average, they're better than that. Two or three yards, I think I can get within, but I don't, I don't rely on it being better than five using that method, and that can be can be good enough when you're shooting a uh, high-powered gun. If you're shooting a piston, like, well, 19 foot-pounds, but if you're shooting a piston gun, which tends to be lower, at 12, 13 foot-pounds, those, are, those can be tricky shots. Your ranging is... Uh,
0: to unpack that a little bit, it has to do with uh, depth of field, right? And the, the less magnification you have, the, the larger the depth of field is going to be as the distances increase, at least as I understand it.
1: Yeah, again, I don't know too much about how it works, but I do what I have been told, and what I've seen is big objectives help and high magnification helps. Um, neither would you really want on a hunter scope, Uh if you keep your scope low, uh, it makes the close targets easy and your range finding is less critical, critical but makes the far targets uh, that much more critical. Um, so some people will mount their scope up really high to hopefully do better on the far targets, but I think they're giving up some of the close targets, which should be the ones they don't miss. So I like a low scope, so my, my ranging is always good enough for the close targets, and I'm going to miss a few far ones, especially when I'm shooting 12 foot-pounds and a 12-power scope, but that's mm-hmm. just accepted.
0: And then you had mentioned earlier, and just want to give some clarification, you talked about Hunter Field Target, and that's the, the British game, right, where they use 10-power scopes and they can't focus, they can't parallax during the match.
1: Correct. They use, actually, they can use any power oh, okay. scope they want, but since they're not allowed, since they're not allowed to focus during the match, they tend to gravitate towards uh, probably eight right. to twelve power. Because you get outside that, things are too fuzzy. If if you've got an eight power scope, things are clear enough to the whole range that you would want to see. And ten power is probably good enough too. You could probably even run it up to twelve, and it's doable. But I don't know. They tend to gravitate towards twelve, which or ten, which is. Uh, Conveniently, it's what uh, a standard radian scope is normally and,
0: set for. And our game here that we're talking about is is back to the 12-power scope that you can uh, focus during the match, but what you're not allowed to do is, is touch the windage or the elevation during the match, correct?
1: Correct. And that's why you use your mill dots for right. windage and elevation. They're um, a, a good scale, Um I should say that that's not the reason why mill dots were uh, invented. They were invented for ranging the target, which is something I also do. Um, a secondary use for them is uh, windage and elevation uh, compensation, holdover and hold off. But they were originally developed for ranging, and there are instances, even in uh, field target, where that can be used well, to go Talk back. about
0: your bracketing technique. I, I know that you. Uh, we're one of the perhaps the earliest <laughs> adopter. Maybe there were others, but you know I've heard mostly about your your efforts with it. And uh, it, so so explain to the new shooter what the difference between bracketing versus parallax focusing is, and what some of the advantages of bracketing might be.
1: Okay, well, even my first match, that's the only way I did it because I had been reading about hunter field target. I had a nine power scope, and I knew I could that. Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't even realize we could focus range find because I didn't look at the rule that much. I went to a match I was going to shoot Hunter, and I was bracketing using a calculator, which was very cumbersome. Uh, so these days I make a chart, which helps me. And what it, it's like, kind of like surveying. I also took surveying class when I was in school, and you have a, uh, uh, let's see, a stadia rod, which in this case it's replaced by your mill dots, and you have a, a transit, which is your scope, and you look at something at some unknown distance, but the thing you're looking at is a known size. With that information, and you have a, a known scale, the stadia rod or your nil dot stadia, you can get a pretty good estimate of the distance to the target. It's kind of a, well, when you, when you eyeball a target, it's a, kind of an intuitive way of bracketing. You're looking at the, you look in your scope of the target, and you're kind of seeing the relative size of the target with respect to your field of view, and that gives you a good, a fair idea of how far it is. With bracketing, you're doing it in a very more scientific way, or uh, you're using numbers and actual dimensions to get a more exact dimension. So if you know the size of the target, and you can hold steady enough to read that target, and that's, that's a technique in itself. If, I mean, if you're steady enough to shoot the target, you're steady enough to bracket the target. People that say they're not steady enough are just... And they're fooling themselves because if they can hit the target by shooting their steady enough to bracket the target. Um, you need to get a good read of no dots across a known dimension, and then when that's run through a formula, it will tell you how far that. So in other
0: target words, is. It, so, so for example, Scott, if you know a dimension of let's say a gamma uh, squirrel, um, what what what, what right. would you be looking at? Like the distance between uh, the. Uh, the, the center of the kill zone and some other part of the squirrel, or would it be just what you can see?
1: Well, I'd look at it. I know the Gamble target. That's uh, 7.2 inches wide, and that's from base of the tail to okay. the tip of the nose, or its hand. I mean, I just know that because that's what it's the same as the base. They designed it that way so it fits in the package and the same width as the base. It was just the you know, production efficiency. So that's a great dimension to use. If you see a Gamble squirrel target, it's 7.2 inches from right to left and knowing that you can probably and if you can hold steady on that dimension you'll be within a yard and a half
0: okay so get the, the listener an example let's say that you know it's a gamma. you know it's 7.2 and you're looking at it and uh, and i'm making it this up but maybe it'll work you count uh four mil dots across okay what yes Okay. Right, and too. so what what does that mean in terms of distance <laughs>
1: Um, well, I say that's about 55 yards. Sure. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but, uh, or do the math. And the math is based on what the top magnification of your scope actually is. So if you really want to do the math, you do need to get a good reading of your scope. That ruler set out at a hundred feet to see what its mm-hmm. spacing actually is. So you can use that to do the math. There's another way. I don't really want to get into the sure. math right now because it's, it takes too much brain power. <laughs> so let's just, uh. Talk about how to do it without math. You put your, take your gamble target. Well, first of all, you have to decide if it's worth it. If you're shooting at a, say, a local range and they have a lot of gamble targets or some other feature like cinder blocks, that's a common thing that targets are mounted to. It's something that you see that you're going to see often enough to make it beneficial. Say that gamble squirrel. Set it out at 55 yards. Count the middle dots. Set it at 50 yards. Count the middle dots. Set it at 45 yards. Count Camilla. Just write it down, just as if you were labeling your side wheel. That will give you the distance for that target when you get that mill dot count. So that's your dope for that particular target. It didn't take any math. It just took about as much setup as it did for uh, ranging with right. the sight.
0: Okay. And, and so you could do that with any th- known. Uh, so for example a cinder block and you could move the cinder block back and forth and so when you see a standard cinder block you, you can and if you can see the top of it um you can do the the bracketing
1: yeah i prefer width but you can do uh, vertical okay. dimensions too so i usually use a horizontal dimension and uh it can throw you to the cinder block or the target it may not be perfectly square and if it's off where, well the target's just supposed to be square within so many degrees, so that's usually not a problem but a base could be off by 20 degrees in which case you're not going to get an accurate read so you have to be you have to be aware of uh, those instances where it's not going to be a good read and then you fall back on your focus range finding.
0: Okay well I mean I think that's a, a simple explanation and and then I guess you could go from there you could actually apart from the experimental way of of doing it, you could uh, you, you know you could just do it by like you did start it out with a calculator
1: once you've done one feature accurately I mean say you spent a lot of time to do either a cinder block or the gamma target and you know its dimension if you know how to use a spreadsheet this it could be easy to extend that to cover any target that right. you might encounter if you know the gallow is 7.2 and you're going to find some other target like a, a 2 by8 or some other feature like a 2 by8 say that's about seven and a half or seven point seven and three eighths. I don't know. They're about seven and a half inches. You can then do a ratio and get all those other dimensions for the different size target. In other words, once you've done the uh, squirrel, you all, you already have the uh, cinder block with just a little bit of mass. And that's that's what I've done through with the spreadsheet is I've set up I've got columns and they fill out automatically, at the top of it, I've got one that would have the cinder block say. The next one over is, uh, well, my first column is just shows what the distance is for a one-inch target. And then every other column is just a multiple of that. Okay. You can't really do a one-inch target because it's not right. accurate enough, but you can do, say, a 10-inch target at every distance. And then when you encounter a five-inch target, it's actually half that, half the number of dots. So... So now when I put a new target in, I just put it at the top of my spreadsheet, and the rest of it fills out. So I've got that covered easily. I just have to right. know its dimension. Right.
0: Well, I mean, that's awesome information, Scott. I mean, it's a very, you've explained it in a way that <clears throat> it makes it uh, easy to understand. It's just a matter of people uh, doing it. And I, it adds a level of, uh, of time and attention to the, the time that you have to make a shot, though, doesn't it?
1: Uh, it can, but you get, you get pretty quick at it, and it's nice having a, when you see a feature like that squirrel, and you get a good read on it, it gives you the confidence to make the shot. If it's out at 50 yards, and you're trying to focus range fine, you're, I really have, don't have a lot of confidence that I'm better than five yards. And with a low-power gun, that, I know that's not good enough. Some of them are going to be missed. Right. Well, some are going to be misses anyway, even if I get the range perfect. So, I try, I like to eliminate that variable, or get as close as I can, and, I try to get on those far targets I like to be within, uh, say, a yard. And to do that, you can check to see if that's, if you have the ability to do that by uh, a little bit of math, too. Uh, I try to read to the nearest tenth of a mill dot. Not always successful, but that's my goal. In other words, I'm splitting the mill dot up into ten segments. And that sounds difficult, but it's not as hard as it sounds, because if you've got a standard mill dot, the center of the dot to the edge of the dot is a tenth. So you've got some of the uh, aim points or bracketing points already set there, and they're, they're based on tenths and two-tenths. Each dot is two-tenths diameter. So you can kind I of see. scale off that. It's easy, to, and it's easy to split a dot down, uh, split the two nil dots and go to a half mil dot. You don't really need the half mil dot line there because it's very easy to get to the center of it. And then by eyeballing, you can... We get one-tenth, two-tenths, three-tenths. So I try and go to the nearest tenth. And if you're able to do that and you have a target that's at least, um, I don't know, about eight inches across, you're going to be able to get a read that's, at worst, will be a yard off in the 50-yard range.
0: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I guess part of the problem, though, is staying still enough to be able to get that read.
1: Yeah, but you develop techniques for that. You kind of get the eye-shifting thing going on where you're just your eye-scanning back and forth and you're trying to, trying to read both sides at the same time because it's kind of a tendency where you line up the left side of the reticle on one end of the target, and as soon as you shift your eyes over to the right to take the read, you mm. pull the whole reticle over. You're, you're trying to pull it off center again. It's just a tendency, and you, you'll eventually get, uh, learn to overcome that and you'll just kind of scan your eyes back and forth without pulling the gun. And things will hold steady enough to get a read. I mean, you can take two or three reads and just kind of, when you start getting a consistent read, that's the one you go with. I, I rarely go with the very first one. I'll, I mean, I'll scan back and forth a few times and make sure I'm getting about the same one each time.
0: Well, Well, that's very, uh, yeah, it I mean, it, it's got to. It does to. Take and, uh, But, I mean, so does, you know, most of what, what's involved in this game you know it's it seems to me that and i think we've either talked online about it or maybe in person but you know getting your wind and your uh, ranging is 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 most of the battle with field target
1: yeah and the uh the ranging you can practice without firing a shot i'll go in my backyard and uh put out known targets that i might expect on a course and i'll bracket them and i'll have my tape measure out there and then i i I might even have it on the tape, and I'll pull the target in, take a bracket reading, write it down, then I look at the tape. And if it's not as close as i like it to be, I'll practice some more or double-check my uh, scope calibration to make sure I got the right mill dot spacing. So that's something else I can, should measure. As you change the focus on your scope and move targets in at different distances, the mill dot spacing is not always perfectly consistent. And it can change enough to make a small difference of maybe a tenth of a mil dot in your readings. So it's just one right. more thing to check.
0: So, so explain what you I – mean, with a there 12x is, it, scope it, that you leave at 12x, uh, it's not an issue, right?
1: Um, no, it is still an issue. The 12x scope you set at 12x, which may right. or may not be 12x. It might right. be 11.5, it might be 12.5. And that would be at, say, 30 yards. Now, check the middle dot spacing
0: oh, at 10
1: yards. Saying. It may be different. It might now be 12x instead of 12.5x. I mean, that's a pretty big change. I usually don't see that much change, but it can be up to a half of a, half of a magnification. In other words, I might see 12.5 on some close targets and might see 12 at uh, far targets.
0: It's pretty remarkable.
1: Just something to be aware yeah.
0: of. Small thing. I mean, it's remarkable that the optics calls that change. Right, and you're not even changing the magnification; you're just changing the, the distance.
1: It's the yeah, the focus. Well, the focal point. I guess when you, I don't know exactly how it works either, but you are focusing on a point, so the lenses are shifting in there, and that, uh, your reticle apparent size of the reticle with relation to the target is has to do with the spacing inside, mm-hmm. and it is being changed. So the apparent mag, magnification can change slightly as you. Move the target in and fo- refocus the scope. Okay, so go ahead. The good thing. The good thing. Okay, the good thing is, it's probably still more consistent in with focus range finding, where you have variables just caused by temperature. With uh, bracketing, there is no, or none that I can see, no significant changes caused by temperature differences in your focus. You know, when you focus it. It's always going to be, it's going to
0: be 120 degrees, that going to be 80 degrees, and you're still going to get the same readings. That's a good point. So so what else? I mean, we've gone sort of beyond a, a, a new shooter's setup, uh, perhaps, into the bracketing. That might be a, well, in, not necessarily a more advanced thing. It might be something that, you know, from the beginning, someone wants to, to work with to, uh, to get around the uncertainties of the, the longer ranges and 12 power.
1: Well, Uh, Back to what a new person should do, I would recommend don't go looking for the Holy Grail 12X scope to focus range finds to within one yard out to 55 yards because I don't Mm -hmm. think they exist. You're better off buying a scope that is going to hold to zero. Uh, It doesn't have to have really repeatable clicks because you're not going to be clicking. got to have a nice middle dot reticle. got to hold zero. And just learn the scope. And if it's a twelve power scope, keep it maxed out at twelve when you're taking the shots. You can turn it down if you need to, but twelve X typically you don't, but sometimes I'll do to find a target quickly. If you've got a higher magnification scope, I would suggest taping it at your twelve X mark and don't move it off that mark because if you don't get it perfectly set the next time it can throw things throw your holdover over then ranging off wow. a little bit. Well Let's stick with the scope. Even a even a low cost one, the Leapers U T G can I mean, I I could do it with other scopes, too, but that one's good enough to win pretty much any hunter match you might encounter if you learn the scope well.
0: I mean, and that can save somebody a lot of money as opposed to going out and getting a a Cytron 10 to 50 or whatever and putting on a 12-power and putting it on their rifle.
1: Yeah, well, if they want to do that, they can. Some people like to play with the high-end stuff, and I did have a... Nico for a while, and I shot an open match with it. It was a 10-50. to 50. Uh, Nice scope, focus range fine well, but I found out at the match that I really didn't even like shooting it at anything over about 25 power. Um, I had trouble finding targets at anything that had higher powers, and um, I didn't like the darkness. I don't know. I like a bright scope and at 12 power, they're brighter. Uh, so if you want the higher power scope, you can do it, but it's not required.
0: Okay. Well, anything else that that hunter shooters need to know about their scope setups. We've covered bracketing, we've covered how to set it up with the holdovers and marking the side wheel, um, the alignment above the bore, the cant. Anything else, Scott?
1: Um, I think we covered everything. Something else will probably come to mind later, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> well, you've done a great job. I really uh, do appreciate your expertise, your knowledge, and your willingness to share. Uh, you know what you do, and and one of the things that have that's helped make you successful, Scott. And that's one of the things I like about our sport is that you know people are willing to talk about what they do, and and uh, and I appreciate you doing it this evening.
1: Oh, and I love to do it. Anybody that's willing to listen to the technical aspects and gets excited about, it, I'm more than willing to share everything All I right. know.
0: Well, you know that that's probably just an invitation for me to call you back and uh, and talk to you about something else, like. Uh, Um, Well, I can think of things like setting up rifles and, you know, the issues of BC and how to calculate it and all those kinds of things that you've alluded to. But maybe that's for another episode. And, uh, Scott, thanks for your time this evening, and I really appreciate your knowledge. Look forward to seeing you at the Nationals in November, and uh, good luck uh, at your upcoming matches.
1: Okay, thanks. Yep, just signed up for the Nationals, so I'm
0: looking forward to it. All right, we'll see you there, buddy, okay? Okay. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye.